Welcome to Know My Faith and my guest again, Dr. Daniel Woodhead from Schofield Bible Institute or Biblical Institute, my apologies. Uh, Daniel, nice to talk to you again. Yeah, nice to be here, Rob. Uh, appreciate you uh, giving us some time together and uh, to talk about my favorite topic is uh, the nation Israel, uh, the future they have and uh, how we are blessed by them. Because as you know, our Lord Jesus came out of the Jewish people and he made it real clear that he told his followers, I am here just for the nation Israel, the lost sheep of the nation Israel. Now, he didn't exclude our Gentiles because we got brought in at the end yeah. of, for example, the book of Matthew. Yeah, and I tell people, you know, I said, look, we're not second-class citizens. He just has an order. That's all. The Greek word that Paul uses in uh, 15, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians about the resurrection order is tagma. It's not one line is better than another. It's just the order that God has created. And unfortunately, you know church history and what happened. Uh, the Gentiles came in in mass and then neglected the Jewish yeah. people. Well, I've said I've said in a couple of recent podcasts with people. I'm, I've got a little a little private study going on with that, and. I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying to see if it was the the edict of Claudius that actually started that off, because we know that the Gentile Church centered itself in Rome, uh, and the edict of Claudius, which I think was 58 AD, evicted all the Jews from Rome. But there were Gentile believers there, because we know Priscilla and Aquila were, you know, with the Jews that left. Oh. So there were Messianic oh. believers that left Rome, and just they just left the Gentiles in Rome. And I'm thinking, is this the start of the of the big split? That's a real interesting. That could very well be. Now, I haven't researched that, but uh, I'll have to look up uh, Claudius and see what his ideas were. <laughs> I know definitively Theodosius II, who was the second emperor after Constantine, declared Christianity the state religion, yeah. and everybody had to become a Christian. So, well, you know, Christianity is not a religion that you get pushed into. It's a faith-based you accept yeah. the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Well, you know, it just pushed thousands of pagans into the churches at Rome that had no interest at all in Christianity, but they didn't want the soldiers putting swords through them yeah. for not being a Christian. So, surprise, you know, surprise. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So you get uh, this idea that gets started here with the Jewish people in large measure, we're not going to be Christians. Uh, that's what yeah. that's the same problem Martin Luther had. He, he just couldn't understand why they wouldn't become Christians. So he writes this diatribe, you know, yeah. against the Jews. Well, they uh, started they getting need, They don't need to become Christians. Yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's this thing I came across, and, and I think I sent this to you, um, just just came across this uh, this morning. Uh, it's a book called The Idea of the Messiah in the Theology of Thomas Hobbes. Now, I don't even know who Thomas Hobbes is. No. But the, um, uh, the abstract <clears throat> in the introduction, the, the author of the book, Guy Robert Cranach, and he says, uh, Hobbes elaborates a conception of the Messiah in his political treaties that is unusual because it seems to combine Jewish and Christian elements. He asserts that Jesus is the Messiah in the sense of being the earthly king of the Jews as well as the Son of God and King of Heaven. To clarify Hobbes's position and to highlight its strangeness, 
It's compared to the views of Moses Maimonides and Blaise Pascal. He emerges from this comparison as a spokesman for a kind of Jewish Christianity his, whose purpose is not to return the early Jewish sects that embraced Jesus as a new Moses, but to humanize the Messiah. And I'm going, yeah, I think I think from the sounds of that, Hobbes actually got it right, and whoever wrote the book got it wrong. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, it, it's we, we we teach a course in uh, Introduction to Jewish Studies. Mm. And one of the books we use is by a uh, guy called Oscar Scarsoon, and it's in the Shadow of the Temple, and he talks about the earliest church being all Jewish. And um, later the Gentiles came in, but he talks about the Jewish church, yeah. worshiping their Messiah. And as you probably know, the whole book of Hebrews was written, uh, which I think is Apostle Paul, but others think others, you know. And uh, that uh, the poor Jewish believers were getting persecuted by the temple people, by yeah. the Sanhedrin, and they wanted to go back. And the writer to the book of Hebrews says, you can't go back. You're there. You've arrived with the belief in the Messiah. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, there is there is no going back. Um, on the going, we we could talk on this for ages, but this is not what we wanted to talk about in the podcast. We <laughs> want to look to the future, to the and particularly to the to the Gentiles' part in the return of the Jews to, or the the, the turn of the Jews to their Messiah. Because I mean, this is this is you and I are. We are called to provoke the Jews to jealousy. Um, Absolutely. So that they will Absolutely. return to their Messiah. And there are so many different views of how that can happen. Oh, uh, absolutely. Um, a friend of mine from many, many years back when we were just teenagers uh, talked to me one day after I became a Christian, and he didn't. And he said to me, I'll never forget this. He said, don't you think the Jews are jealous of us, of, of, of other Christians? And I looked at him, and I mean, he, did, he didn't know anything about the scripture yeah. at all, you know? And uh, I thought that was an interesting clip that he gave me, you know? Yes, we are. And uh, I think it's because the freedom we have in Christ, it's because the blessings that we have, the peace that we have made with God, and the peace of God that yeah. we get as a result of this, the Jewish man or woman trying to follow the Torah are never going to have that peace because they don't know if they're satisfying God or not. No. They don't have a temple. Uh, they call the synagogues temple now, you know, and but I, I, I look at as another aspect of that that I found absolutely fascinating, how the Gentiles have helped the Jews I looked at the, the 37th chapter of Ezekiel, and you get the dry bones prophecy, and it starts off yeah. where Ezekiel's given this prophecy. The bones are dead, they're dry, and they're all apart, and they gradually come together, and then God breathes a spirit of his life into them. You can look at every stage in that prophecy as starting with the Zionist movement in the late 1800s. At the end of the First World War, they were given the British mandate where they could start coming back yeah. under some set of circumstances. The end of the Second World War, and we all know what that is, with the Holocaust and the, uh, you know, the annihilation of at least six million of them purposefully by Adolf Hitler and Himmler. 
that gave the national uh, Jewish uh, sovereignty back. So now they've got the land. They don't have all the land, but they got the land. But what and you're the, saying here is this is this is like the the, the beginning. The the Zionism was that was the bones coming together. We've now got yes, the yes, we've got the bodies yes. there. But we haven't received the breath of the Lord yet. We don't have the breath of the Lord yet. So their actual, now it's interesting, you know, the last few chapters of the book of Isaiah are discussions. First of all, Isaiah is pleading with God. What about, what about, what about? And God starts telling him what's going to happen at the end of the tribulation when there's a national regeneration and then the beginning of the messianic kingdom. And some of the aspects he talks about are the blessings that they are going to get in this messianic kingdom. And he's talking to them in great detail about this, you know. And one of the things that he says, I think it's in uh, 66, verse 17 through 19, where he talks about the birth of the nation Israel in one day. And it's not, he said, it's like a woman in travail. It doesn't even travail. She just gives birth a baby. And yeah. I know people have tried to tie that to, uh, you know, May of 1948, yeah. Yeah. which which is interesting. But this is the spiritual rebirth he's talking about there, because the context is a messianic kingdom. We, in hermeneutical law, um, this is a concept the nation Israel, when it was born in May of 1948, that was a political birth. This is going to be a spiritual birth. That political birth hermeneutically is referred to as repeat foreshadowing. In other words, the same thing's going to happen, but a lot different. Just like Peter said in, 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 in the old term, we, we used to use the old term as first, first in the natural, then in the spiritual. Yeah, there you go. Excellent, excellent. You know, it's the same kind of a concept as uh, we get uh, Peter saying at the beginning of the church, this is like that which Joel talked about in in Joel chapter 3. It's not the same thing because Joel is pouring out, you know, God's spirit at the end of the tribulation, but it's it's similar. Similar things are happening. Um, I, I look at it as just like the Lord Jesus talking about the birth pangs leading up to the messianic kingdom, you know, or as the Jews would say, those those footsteps leading to the to the Messiah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it sure looks like we're getting close. It does. <laughs> we have this. this I'm not Lord, is it today? <laughs> yeah, um, uh, but see, that's the problem, Daniel. Is we're doing that for our sake. That's a very selfish thing for us, isn't it? Mm. Lord, I'm sick of this world. I'm, I'm sick of what's happening. I can't stand what's happening. Come now. And, I know. Uh, and with that, you've got to invoke, uh, is it First Peter 5, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. The understanding of the part that we as Gentiles play in the return of the Jews to their Messiah is very much misunderstood. And I mean, you referenced uh, Luther before. Martin Luther was happy, uh, ha- happy to have Jewish people as long as they converted. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading something um, earlier that around the end of the 16th century, beginning of the 17th century, there was it was very based on, on a cabalistic uh, understanding, but the the nations were expecting they, they were going to get the Jewish people, gather them in their nation. Jesus would then return to the nation, convert the Jews to Christianity. And then Jesus and the king of the aforementioned nation 
would then lead them to the promised land. Even even Portugal. Interesting. <laughs> Portugal is going to get all the Jews in the world to, to, to move to Portugal. Jesus will then return to Portugal, convert them to Christians, and then they'll all march back to the Holy Land. You know, you know, <laughs> where does this understanding come from? Misunderstanding. I, 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 it's, it's not scriptural, obviously, you know, and... Uh, um, I, I still take Hebrew lessons. I take modern Hebrew lessons. I, I teach Hebrew, um, but yeah. I, I take modern, I teach biblical Hebrew. I, I can teach modern too, but uh, so I still, I still meet with a teacher in Israel once a week, you know, on Zoom like this. Yeah. And uh, I have talked to her, but just sparingly about the Messiah. And uh, she gets stiff and uh, just resistant and her father passed away, and uh, she got a hold of me and said, uh, I want to see a New Testament after the death of her father. That's interesting. So I, I mailed one off to her, uh, Brithkad the Shah, you know, it's written in Hebrew, and uh, she was swayed but not convinced. And I tried to tie her to the prophecies. Yeah. They're told to the Talmud and through their Judaism <clears throat> a different Messiah than Jesus and different characteristics. That's one of the stumbling blocks that we, that I still have to get over with her, which I think I can someday is the Messiah's characteristics and promises are not outside orthodoxy. Those were given by your rabbis in Judaism, uh, which is not biblical orthodoxy, you know, and, uh, so that's just like going near what you say. Where do these things come from? Well, they come outside the scripture in what somebody else has decided to be truth. Yeah. I like and, the, um, uh, the uh, my wife and I read from the complete Jewish Bible, David Stern's. Um, uh, yeah. Edition. Yeah, he, he does a good job. I like the fact that in the Brit Hadashah, all the quotes from the Tanakh are in bold. Mm -hmm. Good. The book of Romans or the book of Hebrews, and like half the book is in bold because it's basically it's just the Tanakh. And um, mm -hmm. if there was a, a, a Hebrew Brit Hadashah that did that, I think that would be remarkable. No, oh, I have to look into that. That'd be interesting. Would yeah, be. I have to look into that. So, so where, where do you see our part in in the Jews' return to the Lord? The point where they they cry out, Baruch Habab Hashem Adonai. Absolutely. What part do we play in that? When is that? Well, it's interesting. Is uh, Deuteronomy 15 says to them, and you think back 1400 BC, you're going to be running the earth. The Jews are going to, you're going to lend to those nations. They're going to be subservient to you. They're going to help you. And you get in near the end of, of, of Isaiah, and he's talking about the Jews, the Gentiles actually helping the Jews get back to the land. Uh, the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 24 that the angels are going to be guiding the Jews to come back to the promised land at the end of the tribulation. And I think he's going to be directing the Gentiles to do this, to help them come back. And uh, the, I, the fascinating thing to me is, and I, I, this, I, I still, I'm still uh, trying to understand this, yeah. is that uh, just like in the church age, where Paul describes in the second chapter of, he, uh, of, of Ephesians, 
Jews and Gentiles are together as one in the church, yeah. not as a Jew, not as a Gentile, but as one. Well, in the Messianic kingdom, it's going to be very similar to that because in the last chapter of the book of Isaiah, it talks about the Gentiles, some of them getting selected to be priests and Levites. To me, that was just fascinating. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because the the the, the, the priests are descendants of, of Aaron through the yeah. tribe of Levi. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even the normal Israelite was not allowed to be a priest or a Levite. Exactly. So he's going to pick from the Gentiles to, to join that. But, you know, you got to think about a one-world government. The Lord Jesus is in uh, Jerusalem running the government of the world. Yeah. It's on his shoulders now, literally. And uh, the entire world is going to be under one set of wholesome rules that are holy. And uh, <clears throat> you're going to have to have a lot of administrators around the world. So there's going to be Gentiles chosen from all around the world, you know. And uh, so not only do the Gentiles get to bring the Jews back, but they get to participate in this. You know, it's interesting as uh, in, in, in putting my message together for church last week, I started looking at the concept of uh, the Old Testament had priests uh, uh, from the Levitical family, from Levi's family, <clears throat> and they had prophets. The priest would bring people to God. The prophets would bring God to the people, thus saith the Lord. <laughs> you know, in the New Testament, in the church, there's no priest. It's just elders, presbyters, and teachers, and so on. No priests. Although there's some denominations that don't care about what that says, and they've decided they're going to have priests. And um, <laughs> this is kind of fascinating, you know. And, it, in, and, and the Lord Jesus even said, you will call nobody father. Yeah. Yeah. Only your father in heaven. And we know some denominations do that, too. They want to have that division between what they say is the clergy and the laity, yeah. which there shouldn't be any division. You know, in the body of Christ, everybody has different spiritual gifts, but one is not better than the other. You know, the apostle makes that so clear. He said, hey, look. You know, where if you just were ahead and you couldn't get around, what use is that? you know, what use is that? It's, it's, uh, but that's not what we've done. You know, we've done some pretty nasty things to each other and to the Jewish folks. And it's, I mean, one of, one of the verses that's really, um, it, it's almost embedding itself on my mind is Mark 12, 24. And uh, is it 12 or 22, 24? I'll have to look it up now because I don't know. It hasn't quite made it yet. Right. But it's when uh, Jesus is addressing the uh, Sadducees. It's the case where, you know, the man married the woman and he died without children and everything. And he says to them, he says, you err because you do not know the scriptures. Exactly. The whole end times things, uh, these, you know, Jesus is going to physically return to Portugal and march the Jews from Portugal back to Israel. <laughs> I'm just really, you know, where did you read that? You know, what, yeah, really. <laughs> you know, um, I, there was somebody mentioned to me uh, today. They just sent a text through today, and they said, "I just heard on the on the radio uh, a preacher on the radio saying that the angels are going to preach the gospel." Yeah, I haven't seen that one either. But uh... there is a case in in Revelation where the angel of the Lord, uh, the angel flies through the the sky with preaching the gospel one one incident but it's like 
well, we don't need to do anything because the angels are going to preach the gospel to, to the Jewish people and uh, they'll come to know the Lord. You go, what Bible are you reading? Yeah, really. It sounds like uh, Western Michigan, where I live, is heavily reformed here. We've got five reformed seminaries and and they have this attitude. There's really no need to witness because everybody's chosen and you're just going to become a Christian and you know, if you and the whole family's chosen and that sort of thing. I, I... <laughs> even even Spurgeon, who was a Calvinist at heart, he he railed against those hyper Calvinists. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it's it makes no sense, you know. Flies it flies right in the face of Matthew twenty eight. You know, the Great Commission. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things uh, it's, it's interesting you're talking about Ephesians two because I, I just preached on that on Sunday as well. Actually, read the whole chapter. Yeah. And looking at, at, at tearing down that that soaring that wall of separation that was outside the temple uh, to wait to make one new man. But uh, in a month's time, I'm preaching on uh, on the end times, and again with the you make this mistake because you don't know the scriptures. So many people getting their end times theology messed up or the eschatology messed oh, up. Oh my goodness! My goodness! For you, where are we? What, what's 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 happening next? When do the Jews come back to the Lord? Can can you? I'm not. I'm not, not going to ask you to tie down a date or anything. But to, yeah, there isn't any date. But there is the gradual, the gradual acceptance of Jesus as the Messiah. One of the barometers I have is our missionary, uh, Todd Baker, Doctor Todd Baker. He's seen the younger people are actually being interested. One of my colleagues from seminary is a Jewish guy that had become a believer. And he probably did this about 20 years ago or so, maybe a little more. <clears throat> he grew up in New York. He was dating a Christian woman. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, when we were first dating, I said to her, so what do you believe, you know? And she says, well, I believe uh, in the Jewish Messiah. And he looks at her. He says, well, he hasn't come yet. Yes, he has. <laughs> he said, I was so shook by that that I listened to her with an open mind and I became a Christian. Um, and, and that's what our missionary is seeing today because these young people don't have this fear, this hatred of what has happened in the past to them. Yeah. They're just open about, well, tell me. And they, you know, they go through 20 or 30 prophecies in the Old Testament, show them how they're fulfilled in the New Testament. They give him a Bible. He goes over there with another guy, and um, yeah. and they give him a Bible, and then they follow up with them after they come back here. And so we see that today, but unfortunately, it's going to take the tribulation to get the leaders shook up to the point where they say, okay, we give up. We give up, uh, and there will be a national regeneration of the nation Israel. And they will begin to start taking out the heretics, the pagans. Um, you know, Zechariah says that uh, even family members are going to start taking out those that uh, have uh, not and won't convert, just uh, will not believe. Where do you see that? Uh, to, to me, uh, in, in my end times theology, I see that national conversion 
right at the end of the seven years of the trip. Absolutely. Been, yeah. Yeah. Two, yeah. Two and a half years, they, they are, the, the Antichrist turns against them. They flee to... to Absolutely. To yeah. And, and Absolutely. everything turns to toast. And eventually they go, all right, we give up. Jesus, we accept that you are the Messiah. Is that, is that where you yeah. Yep. <clears throat> it, which, which lets you see the degree of the deepness of the roots of sin, especially in the leaders that have this massive amount of control and money and power and so on. That's what it takes <clears throat> to get that out of them. You know, a lot of people, when Jesus was here in Israel, became believers. He had thousands of followers. The leaders did not at all, as we know, which is obvious from Scripture and the Gospels. But what I found always so interesting is they never denied his resurrection because they couldn't. Everybody knew it. I mean, it was so commonly known that he had died and risen from the dead. So what they did instead was try and persecute people becoming believers and attack them. But they never denied the resurrection. And it took about 300 years before anybody was even saying, oh, it couldn't have happened. I mean, somebody coming back from the dead, come on now, you know, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, You see the leaders in all countries this, doing similar things, you know. But uh, this chosen nation will become believers from the top down. It's just, just like you said, right at the end of the tribulation. And that's what ends it. That's what ends it. One of the things that I see, um, and, and I don't know if this is going to be the case with the end times Jewish leadership, religious leadership, but... Certainly in Jesus's day, it seems that they, it was not that they didn't necessarily recognize him as Messiah, but almost that they purposely hid that fact from the people because it wasn't convenient for them. Absolutely. They were so saturated with their love for their power and their money that uh, even seeing the Messiah, just look at the way Nicodemus came to see him. He sneaks over there at night. Yeah. So that he cannot be seen by any of his colleagues. And uh, he starts talking to Jesus about, you know, you know, who can do these things you're doing? And Jesus, of course, cuts right to the chase and says, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. What are you talking about? You know, how do I climb back into my mother's womb and come back out again? But but it's this idea that he's part of the leadership and he's afraid to let anybody know that he's going to go talk to this guy because he just sees this guy as being something so special. Yeah. We haven't seen anybody like you, you know. But he's humbled himself enough to go, I, I think I know who you are and I need to come to you. Yeah, and there were probably others like Joseph of Arimathea. Look what he did too. Yeah. He let him use his tomb. Yeah. You know, he knew that. At, at the end of the tribulation, I mean, the, the thing is, and we, we have to be careful here that we don't want to to just knock Jewish religious leadership completely, but we, we're not naive. Uh, there are passages, Messianic passages, the Daniel 9 is an example, Zechariah 12, where which point towards the Messiah being uh, Yahweh that are not read. Sure. They're, they're just those are, you know, it's, it's like the Catholics with the last verse of Matthew that says that Joseph didn't have intercourse with Mary until after Jesus was born. You know, you don't, I don't think you read that in a Catholic church because that would mess with the whole Virgin Mary business. But th- they've had now 2,000 years of denying Yeshua's messiahship. 
that's going to be harder for them to admit. And maybe it's because it's one of the reasons for allowing Jacob's trouble in the in the second half of the tribulation. You know, it's interesting. It's interesting you bring that point out. Um, I like to read the uh, Jewish rabbi commentators from the Middle Ages. Uh, most of them were either like Rashi was in southeastern France. It was yeah. Gaul at the time. And uh, Radak, David Kimke, and uh, Maimonides, and Nachmanides. Uh, uh, <laughs> Banal, um, I always mispronounce his name. Um, is that Rambam? <clears throat> yeah, and a, or the Rambam, yeah, that's <laughs> and, and anyway, a few others. In looking at this passage that I taught on last Sunday about the Jew or the Gentiles becoming priests and Levites, I looked at these guys. All of them denied it. They just said, oh, it must be scribal error. It can't be any Gentile. I mean, it's got to be. Or, or we need to understand this differently. Let's let's uh, re-examine the Hebrew here, and let's look at the grammar and so on. And only one of them, which is David Kimke's dad, he's the only one that affirmed it. And he said, no, I think it is just what it says. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's a book called uh, Genetic, em- excuse me, Genetic Entropy, which is uh, obviously on, on the, the evolution creation side, written by a creationist. And he, he says, he says from the, if the evolutionists have a primary axiom. The primary axiom is there is no God. Mm-hmm. Right? So everything I observe needs to be interpreted in the light of there is no God. And what we find with these, with these commentators, they go, Yeshua was not the Messiah. So everything I read in the scriptures, in the Tanakh, I have to run that through Yeshua. This can't be talking about Yeshua because he wasn't the Messiah. And there are very few that are going to go, it's like, like the one you referenced, that are going to go, actually, you know, could be the case. Yeah, indeed, indeed. You know, I've always found it interesting that uh, the evolutionists just seem to accept the fact that they don't have a prime mover to creation, yeah, and they don't have any transitional life forms. There was a um, paleontologist at Harvard a while back. His name was Stephen uh, Gould. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Well, when confronted with the uh, lack of transitional life forms, he said, well, it's punctuated equilibrium. Somebody said, what? You know, he said, it's, it happens so fast from one species to another that you can't see it. <laughs> and I'm thinking, man, if you can believe that, you can believe creation, you know. <laughs> the good news for the Jewish people, though, is that God is not finished with them and he is doing everything to bring them to him. Sadly, it's going to necessitate the time of Jacob's trouble. It it took the Holocaust to get the Jews back into the land. It's going to take the time of Jacob's trouble to get them to cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. One third of the Jewish world population died in the Holocaust. Two are going to die. Two thirds are going to die under uh, Antichrist. And uh, that's that's real sad, but you know it is what it is, so to speak. And uh, I hate to see it coming too, you know. And uh, I it, that's not something I can witness with. 
I, I, I can't threaten people when I'm talking to them, you know, uh, there's turn right away from you. No, but uh, we've had, we, and we don't need that. The, 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 the facts of the tribulation, the facts of the end times aren't going to change, but for 2000 years, Gentiles and Jews have come to know the Messiah without necessarily using that fear tactic. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, and that's what we you need know. to remember that we need to be, uh, as close to the Jewish Messiah as we personally can be indeed, to provoke them to jealousy so that they go, oh, I want what you've got. Indeed. Uh, amen, brother. Yep. I, I agree with you 110%. If that's <laughs> good enough. <laughs> yep, it is. It, it's something we have to do. And uh, as I said, you know, we teach at our church. Uh, we don't have any Jewish people here. There's There was one Jewish guy living in town here, but he passed. And uh, there just aren't very many in Western Michigan. Over on the other side of Michigan, there's a couple of suburbs that are heavily populated with Jewish people. Um, and, you know, there's some pretty big synagogues over there. And uh, it's actually the wealthiest county in, in Michigan. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but not over here, not over here. We don't have it. But, uh, you know, I was teaching last week. I said, look what look what the Apostle Paul says in the entire second chapter of the book of Ephesians. We are one. That middle wall of partitions broken down. Uh, we are not viewed or should not be viewed as the uncircumcision by the circumcision, you know, yeah. uh, that was made with hands. This is a spiritual rebirth here. This is not a physical uh, status. Uh, it's spiritual. We have one spirit, one Lord, one Messiah. It's, And we've got to come together. And church history shows that we haven't done a good job with that. That's true. I was just thinking as you were saying that. I mean, we don't we don't lose our our gentileness, our gentile ethnicity. No, Jews no. don't lose their Jewishness. In South Africa, for many years under apartheid, uh, and we got in trouble with this. You probably wouldn't know, but we uh, we had our rugby team, the All Blacks, wouldn't tour South Africa because of the apartheid. There were only whites in really? the South African rugby team. Yeah, uh, and then the. Um, the, the Cavaliers took off and they did a did a, a, a tour that got in trouble. But eventually the apartheid broke down. And so right. the the black Africans, South Africans, were allowed to play in the national rugby team. So now you don't look at the spring box and go, oh, there's a white rugby player and there's a black rugby player. Right, right. So he's a South African rugby player. And, and I think, you know... Does it turn the black ones into white and the white ones into black? No, it doesn't. Do we do no, the Gentiles no. turn into Jews and Jews into Gentiles? No, we don't. But it's it's now irrelevant because we're all on the same team. We're all members of that same team. That's the one new man. Reminds me of the Apostle Paul talking in Galatians with the Jews that became Christians and the law is over. Well, believers, we should say became, became believers as opposed to became yeah. Christians because... Yeah. But if, if you want to do some of these things from the law, go ahead, just enjoy them, do a festival or something, you know, but not, it's not application for your salvation, but if you want to have that, it's like a nationalistic, um, it, it, the, the, the Germans got this word for it, it's called Gemutlichkeit, and it's um, the feeling of the environment, you know. 
I mean, uh, people will say, well, I came from Munich, you know, the Gemutlichkeit of, of Munich I carry with me, the, the feeling of or the, the culture of or something. It, it, it's a nice heritage, you know, uh, but it's not, as Apostle Paul says, it's not going to save you. <laughs> but you can have that distinction, enjoy each other's food and differences and so on, you know, but we are together spiritually as one. That's it. Yeah. Daniel? Thank you so much for your time again. And, and seeing as you agree with me 110%, uh, I might ask you back again another time. <laughs> well, it might be 111 next time. You don't know. <laughs> God bless you and your work. Thank you. Nice to see you.